Welcome to this special unheard debate. We are here to talk about Viktor Orban. Um, this is the Prime Minister of Hungary, a highly controversial character, often mentioned as a kind of bête noire, a, a villain in European politics. What we want to get to the bottom of is how bad is he, what should our opinion of that regime be, and joining me to discuss it, we have Philip Blonde, who is director of the Respublica think tank and the famous original Red Tory, um, and Peter Franklin, associate editor of Unheard and uh, our resident brain. Um, so we've chosen these two characters essentially because where politically you would both describe yourselves as post-liberal in the broader sense, uh, you take quite different views on Victor Orban and what we should think about him. So I want to start with Peter. Give us your sense. Is he a villain? I don't think he's a villain. Um, I don't think he's a fascist. However, I do think he's on a spectrum between a normal democratic regime and, let's say, Vladimir Putin in Moscow and the Russian government. I think he's rather closer to the democratic end than to the authoritarian end, but it's still too far, and I think we need to be cautious. Okay, Philip, what's your sort of opening summary of all that well, and what you think of him? I suppose if you forgive me, I'll start from a different end of the, of the premise. We've long thought in, in the West that two things were linked inextricably, liberalism and democracy, and we thought that both are good. And uh, if we have them, we'll get the sort of outcomes we want from the world. The poor will, will, be, will be looked after, flowers will bloom and all, all will be well. And I think what's very clear is that, is that liberalism, especially in its current extreme form, is not good for the poor. And it's not good for ordinary people. Indeed, it's not good for majorities. And what I think is happening in the West, anywhere from America, right through to Orban and, and Poland, is that post-liberal politics are forming. Now, in that post-liberal world, you have unacceptable forms, and I think Trump is pretty much quite extreme, and then you have very successful forms. And I think that the most successful political forms that we currently have are in Hungary and in Poland. And I think there's a lot of hysteria genuine hysteria that seems ill-informed when you actually go to the, the facts and look at the reports about what's happening in Hungary. And I think there's, the system that they've created is clearly advancing the common good, not just of Hungarians, but of the Romani population. And I think it's achieving all sorts of social goods, like equality, that liberalism can no longer deliver. So for me, He's both worthy of study, and in terms of some of the policy outputs, I think it's profoundly interesting. So you said one specific thing there, which is you think he's more acceptable than Trump. Yes, so because he doesn't abandon any part of his population. What I find odd about Trump is Trump, at the one hand, says we care for all Americans, and then he palpably doesn't care for all, for all Americans. And, and, and he's sort of neoliberal domestically, but protectionist internationally. Whereas if you look at what Orban's regime has achieved, I don't know why we use the word regime, he's democratically elected by super majorities, is that he has achieved, he's got one of the lowest rates of economic inequality in the whole of the EU. 
and that's running alongside massive levels of economic growth, unprecedented in Hungarian history. And we don't have the normal, we must create oligarchs, we must create monopolies. We actually have a country that through its system has managed to achieve massive return for all of its population. That's admirable. Have you met Victor Orban? Yeah, I've met him a couple of times. Yeah. What's he like? Very, very charming. And as, as many, <laughs> I'm sure if I met Putin, he, he would be charming. It doesn't mean I agree with them. It doesn't mean I endorse them. But personally, he's, he's, he's very charming, but that's neither here nor there. Peter, we, we sort of divided up a few areas here that might be worth a bit more detailed study. The first accusation, I guess, is that, that he has entrenched his position of power beyond what we would consider acceptable in a way that is either corrupt or authoritarian. What's, what's the case for that? Well, whatever you think of Trump, at least there's a reasonable chance that he might be defeated next year. Well, actually, at the end of the year, there's no such chance in Hungary. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a hollowed-out party system. There is one party of power, only one party that's got any chance of winning elections now. Is that um, not just success? Or, it, or it's, it? it's, it's more than that. It's not explicitly anti-democratic, because there are elections. They're free, but whether they're completely fair is very much open to debate. We've had a lot of consolidation of independent media sources brought under umbrellas controlled by allies of Orban and the Fidesz, ruling Fidesz party. It's a weak civil society, and he's, he's been very explicit that he's building a strong state. Well, I think to be a true de democracy, it needs to be a contested state. And at the moment, there's no contest. The opposition is divided. The second biggest party really is a far-right party. And um, the centre-left opposition, liberal opposition, is, is tiny. It's, 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 it's got, you know, uh, Budapest is is contested, but the, most of the rest of the country is effectively a one-party state, albeit one not, not achieved through um, overt oppression. So just to, to come back on that, how is that different from any party being successful in a democratic system? I mean, when Tony Blair won in 1997, he populated as many of the institutions and sort of civil things that he possibly could with Sympathetic right. voices. Yes. You know, that's what people do. When they win, they try to entrench power, don't they? How is well, this I think different? Tony Blair went far too far in that. And we, a civil society, you know, needs viewpoint diversity. And I think, you know, in, in, in all of my sort of scepticism about Orban, I'm not putting in him in a special category um, with good Europeans on one side, bad Europeans on the other. No, the problem is that they're far too much alike. But he is... He does have hegemonic power in Hungary. It's not necessarily undemocratic, because in theory, people could vote for an opposition party. But it's too far down the line towards an uncontested democracy. And that's never good. It wasn't good in Sweden when the Social Democrats ruled for decades on end. It wasn't good in Japan when the Liberal Democrats there um, just won election after election for decades and decades. It always brings with it corruption and just a sort of entitlement. And, you know, every single politician, no matter how virtuous, no matter how clever, should be frightened that they will lose power. Orban doesn't have to fear that because the opposition 
is splintered and ineffective. Um, okay, Philip, is he entrenching power in a scary authoritarian way? No, would be, would be my take. I think this is misinformed. In, in the local elections recently uh, held last year, actually the opposition, which was in an alliance, won the majority of the mayoralities contested. So Fidesz lost the mayorality in Budapest. And the opposition has unified, including some very unpleasant parties. So you have liberals and socialists allied with Jobbik, who are an overtly anti-Semitic party, who recently wanted a list of all Hungarian MPs of Jewish descent. That's who Fidesz oppose. And actually, the opposition did very well. They essentially won the local elections in the cities. And what we see opening in um, is, is Hungary is much more like everywhere else. And you have a, a liberal in the city divide versus post-liberals in the rest of the country. Fidesz are powerful because they've won super majorities two times running. They've won because under the system that wasn't created by them, they won a super majority. And they, are, they continue to be popular because they're delivering with the for the people. So it's wrong to say, I think, that if somebody is very successful under a system, that somehow we must manufacture an opposition where majorities don't want it. What of the charge that at parts of the media, mm. I mean, there was one example where mm. an associate appears, bought a newspaper and shut it down. Uh, what do you, think do you, are I, there points to criticise here, I, or is I'm it sure, just a I'm sure blemishless are, uh, record? No, it's not a blemishless record, but I'm just responding to the specific mm. charges. The idea Hungary is undemocratic is palpably false, and uh, there's never been any suggestion of any manipulation of any vote. I think the thing about media ownership is more interesting, um, and I certainly think there's a strong case here, and I'm for diversity viewpoint. I personally think the Hungarians overreact to diversity, but I understand it because what what they're trying to do is, is they're essentially saying post-2010 is that we have to have with an account of our tradition within the media that isn't represented there, and we have to make that present. And I think it's perfectly fair enough for, for those who support this viewpoint to have media outlets and take over media outlets, but I don't think it follows that... And shut them down? Is that, that fair enough? I don't think that's fair enough. I wouldn't think that was fair enough. But the point I'm trying to say is it, that is very clearly present in, um, in Hungary, a strong, powerful, independent press, and it's present in the cities, precisely where uh, the opposition to uh, Fidesz is. The criticisms of Hungary are overblown. And all I think you have present, a bit like in America, is you have strong voices either side. And you might argue they're not equally distributed in terms of locality to, to city. But the idea there isn't an independent media is, is again palpably false. And in addition to which, that independent media is, is supported by all manner of European liberal media, which is why Hungary gets the press it gets. Hungary has some of the most illegitimate and extreme kind of press accounts of what's going on in its country. You get, they're, they're the subject of wild smears that through repetition people start to repeat as if it's true. Let's move to the more philosophical underpinnings of the Orban approach. Um, so he had made a famous speech where he talked about um, how he was an illiberal and um, Peter you've been studying that and there are yes. things in it that concern you. Tell yeah it was that. a speech given I think it was 2018 
It was given in eastern Transylvania, which of course is in Romania these days, but used to be part of Hungary back in the day and has a very large Hungarian-speaking minority. In it, he says some frankly disturbing things. He creates an opposition between liberal democracy, which he sees as bad, and Christian democracy, what he calls Christian democracy, which he sees as good. And he says very bluntly that Christian democracy is not liberal. It is, if you like, illiberal, his words. Now, I think that is philosophically wrong. I mean, people like Tom Holland, the historian Tom Holland, in his magnificent book, Dominion, has shown how liberalism, which is something we all owe our freedoms to, um, even though it has flaws, derives from a Christian worldview. I mean, there's a reason why Europe, the Christian continent, is also the cradle of liberalism. This isn't an accident. Uh, what Orban does is, in a very sort of um, ahistorical way, draws a false distinction between liberalism and um, political Christianity, if you could call it that. Um, and I think it's just wrong. It's just not true. Um, and we shouldn't see liberalism in an exclusively negative way. There's plenty of it, of it which is good and precious and authentically Christian. Um, it's just incomplete as philosophy, and some people, especially in the last uh, few years, have taken it in a very extreme direction. That's absolutely true. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way, and we shouldn't have this liberals versus Christian Democrats um, so dichotomy. Think, it's just ahistorical, so philosophically incoherent. The mistake he makes is thinking you have to choose between a kind of Christian ethics and liberalism. Yes, they, and need, you think to, they need to be they, reconciled. They go well together. They, they, they ought to. They don't always do. But his approach um, really doesn't help. And the weird thing about it is that it's a mirror image of, the, um, of his greatest enemies in Europe, who sort of portray the Christian past as, as um, somehow nothing to do with liberalism as well. See, see religion as the enemy of freedom and tolerance, when that, in fact it's what it's all rooted in. So weirdly, um, Orban's approach is just as distorted and ahistorical as his worst critics. Philip, there's a philosophical mistake at the heart of Orban's attitude to liberalism. What do you think? I'm not so sure. Um, I've read most of his speeches and I think when he speaks of illiberalism, it's not a word I would choose, he's speaking to the type of liberalism which as first philosophy makes you unfree. That is um, the type of liberalism that allows for the rise of enormous inequalities, the, 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 the rise of extreme economic uh, predatory companies that uh, extract wealth and, and deny it to others. It's very clear in his speeches, he says, if that's liberalism, I'm a liberal. He's also very critical of the way in which um, liberalism aborts civil society and essentially pursues autonomy and has no account of communal or group solidarity. And in both of these accounts, he's right. And I think that what he's talking about when he opposes Christian democracy to liberalism, and I also would do that, Peter, but I would do it in the following way. So for me, the real contest, and I agree with 
uh, Tom Holland, and I agree with you. Liberalism is an outcome of Christianity. So on that, on that we're, we're agreed. But when liberalism is first philosophy, it cannot deliver liberty. Because what liberalism is first philosophy, if you think, first of all, that human beings are free, and the fundamental thing about human beings is their extreme freedom, you actually create totalitarianism. Because you, you're essentially making sacred the space of an individualism without constraint, without duty, without individualism. And paradoxically, what you need with that, as you did with Rousseau, is a central state that manages all these mad individuals who want to do whatever they want to do. So you paradoxically, through abandoning the notion of shared responsibility, give it to an all-powerful state that manages atomized individuals. The Christian view is you're born into duty, you're born into obligation, and you're born into hierarchy, i.e. good over bad, life over death, health over illness. You're born into a world that is the image of the fruition of all people and of all things. So you're born into fullness. Now, any freedom that says, I can diminish those things, is, therefore, is thereby prescribed by Christianity. So you always, for Christianity, if Christianity is first, the liberalism that produces has to be for the liberty of all, has to be for the liberty of the whole that you're trying to create. And if you read the fundamental law of Hungary, which I have done, which is the foundational document that was brought in soon after 2010, it argues for exactly the interpretation I'm making. I think, actually, Orban, who who is schooled in philosophy, I think his reading is far more astute. I don't like the word illiberal because I think, like Peter, I think that gets the relationship it's, it's wrong. A, but what you're saying is mm. that basically the Christianity needs to be, needs to be at the centre of government for the settlement to work. And is that even a relevant point of discussion in a British context or in a context well, let me, wider Let than me do it another way. Hungary. Substantive goods need to be at the centre of any society that would be just. If you don't have substantive goods, by that I mean this is how people should live, this is what we owe them, this is what they should do. If you don't have um, what technically we can call distributive justice, you just have a contest of rights like America. You know, my right to do this, my right to be that. And, and without a hierarchy of goods, i.e., no, we can't deny anybody uh, food or we can't deny anybody dignity, in the contest of rights, the most powerful rights win because rights don't tell you what is right. And they are the liberal societies that we produce now, where the level of penalty that's enacted upon the bottom third, the bottom half of our population, is, for me, but then, uh, you're criminal. You're falling. So, if you need to fall back on mm. the Christian doctrine, essentially, mm. or the Christian faith as the guarantor of goods in a society or the inspiration for those goods, what happens to non-Christians? Where's their protection? Well, the point. The point is, with any theory of substantive goods, doesn't have to imply Christianity. You could have a Buddhist theory of substantive goods. You could have any theory of substantive goods. Now, I think. On balance, the Christian account of substantive goods is the most persuasive. But what I'm saying is liberalism has no account of substantive goods. That's why it cannot rule. Because if liberalism, with no account of substantive goods, rule, only the most powerful rule. And, they, and because they're unbound by honour, code or creed, they do terrible things. Because in Hungary, the most powerful do rule. And if an all-powerful state is such a bad thing, then Orban's got an awful long way to building it. That's, that's, the big, that's a big trouble with all this, this, this wonderful philosophy. 
but uh, I think we, we need to look <laughs> at the reality. Um, and it's it's not a thriving civil society. That's right, Peter. All. That's and wrong. you talk about the um, what's happening on... in local government. Well, Turkey, mm. you know, you had um, opposition mayors being elected, I think, only mm. last year in Ankara and Istanbul. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, Erdogan there, who, who mm. is substantially worse than mm. Orban, I'm not making a direct equivalent because their journalists mm. are actually in jail. However, it's just, it's still too far to an over-centralised, over-mighty state in which the close friends of the ruler do very well and control far too Look, much. Look, this, this, sounds, this sounds terrible, except it doesn't bear any relationship to the truth. The point is, is that one of the marks of the agenda for Fidesz post-2010 was opening up civil society. So they massively expanded the role and the control of religious groups of all denominations, gave them control over education. They gave civil and political rights. I think there's over 800 Romani self-organising institutions that can govern in Hungary. I'm afraid this is just based on caricature. And if you actually read the constitution, it gives rights of subsidiarity to every locality. And if you want to judge on the outcome, the outcomes that Hungary has achieved are quite remarkable. They have, they have some of the best outcomes for the most disadvantaged uh, ethnic group, which are the Romani population. They've massively increased their participation in work, in education, I think they're, they're second across the whole region. They're making enormous progress, both compared with their neighbors and looking back at Hungarian history with the very minority groups that, that people say who, who haven't done the work, that they're somehow they're the prejudice against. Okay, so I, I meant, so I, I don't see it standing up. Really. I want to move, because you you sort of mentioned minority groups there, mm. and that leads us to one of the biggest taboos around the Orban regime, which is the attitude to race. Because when he talks about a Christian Hungary and a Christian Europe, uh, and he makes reference to divergence in, in reproduction rates between immigrant groups and the indigenous groups, what he's basically talking about is race. And, you know, the vision of Viktor Orban is to encourage breeding among what he would consider to be real Hungarians in order to not need to bring in immigrants to take those positions. Am I, am I being fair, Peter? Well, I don't, th I don't think there's anything wrong in seeking to boost birth rates so that your population can replace itself. I mean, that, that there's nothing wrong there. But what I never get from reading things that Orban ha has said is a sense that actually newcomers to your country, perhaps from very different cultures, can add something to it. It's not necessarily um, a question of compromising or, or, um, or sort of subtracting from your own culture. You know, when, when I look at this country, I think that, you know, you see people from all around the world, from different cultures, from different religious backgrounds, and they have added something to our country. And you never get any hint of that from Orban's um, ideology. Yeah. So do you and think, so, do you think yeah. he is racist? I've never heard anything overtly racist from him. But I think it's a kind of rather blinkered view that can that can never accept that people from, from a different culture can add something to yours. And what about, you say you've never heard anything. What about all of the George Soros 
stuff. I mean, the, the, the whole campaign against Soros in the run-up to the last election in Hungary, demonizing him as a puppet master and the rest of it, was that anti-Semitic? In which case, is he racist on that account? Well, it's hard to know exactly what was going through the minds of the people that devised this poster campaign. It was an image of, yes, Soros literally pulling the strings of, I'm, I'm not sure if it was an opposition politician or just some, someone in Hungarian civil society who was, who was uh, opposed to Orban. You know, they ought to know, given the, the history of the Holocaust in, in Hungary, um, what those images can suggest, right? And much more care should have been taken there. And although, you know, with Soros's um, Open Society Foundation, I think it's called, I don't agree with Soros's politics. They're not my politics. But, you know... I think in, in a democratic Europe, a free Europe, different viewpoints should be fully allowed to, to, to have their say. And um, the, the sort of overt hostility coming direct from the state, you know, I don't think is a good thing. And I think if they were, if they were more confident in their own beliefs, they should be more welcome, more open to challenge. And I don't think they are to, to a sufficient extent. Philip, are you... Is there anything about the vision of the future of Hungary and the future of Europe that Orban espouses, which does essentially not rely on immigration at all, ideally, that unnerves or unsettles you? The interesting uh, question is, is, can somebody who is not a Hungarian make a contribution to Hungary? The Hungarians are, a, you know, when you study their history, they're, they're a very distinct tribe that has come and occupied the Carpathian Basin and has been attacked by empires, both the Ottoman from the south, the Habsburg Catholic Empire um, from the west, and has survived against all the odds. And it's very clear they have, and one of the things that's wonderful about Hungarian culture is it's a high culture. It's a high Central European culture that has produced enormous gifts uh, to the world, um, from music to literature and poetry. But it's also conscious of itself as that group. And, and what's really interesting, I think, is, is um, I don't think in any way it can be called white Christian. I, I'm, Hungary helps Arab Christians in a way that's more sort of explicit than any other European country. They go out, they support those communities, they welcome them back. But I think we should understand uh, the fears, we might not agree with them, about cultural migration, about values change, uh, in a part of the world that has been beset with this sort of ethnic warfare, precisely in the areas that, you go, that you're speaking about. But the point I think to make um, is that if one is really a Christian, you can't believe in race, right? That, that seems to me to be 100%. You cannot believe in race. You can believe, it, I think, in... in Civil, civil structures that need defending and societies and patterns and values that need defending but I don't think they can be understood on the basis of race. Tribe is the word you used. Well earlier. I think, is I think, it, I think. Is it okay to want to well, defend I, your tribe? Well I think in some sense we want something like this don't we? We don't want everybody to be the same otherwise what would be the point of going to Italy or to Japan or or, or somewhere else. And the point about demography is I think over 35 countries have demography programs, places like Scandinavia, precisely because what you happens... Mean pro, you mean pro family, pro, pro family. Child. And they all very clearly 
want to encourage more Norwegians, more Swedes and more Danes because you unbalance your society, both in terms of the young supporting the elderly and very clearly you induce all manner of social fragmentation through mass migration. Nobody thinks it's good. Mass migration isn't good for the countries from which the migrants come from because they lose their, their youngest and their best. And it's not good at a, a beyond a certain point in terms of the countries to which they go to. So I don't think, I think we've got to stop vilifying Hungary about its demography policies that I think are very pro-woman, very pro-family and should, and, and they're something we should welcome. But I think that what they're essentially doing now is trying to recover themselves and their population. So you've got to have a sense in which you want cultures to survive as well as embrace others. And getting that balance right is, I think, key. Do you feel that the sort of, whether you call it tribe or culture, the kind of centrality Orban gives to the, the Hungarian project as a kind of people is sinister or is it fair enough? Or what's your, what's your view on that? Well, it, it has the potential to be sinister. I think, though, that the much more sort of um, uh, real risk is that he's using Christianity in a very instrumental way. That it becomes a kind of cultural label. I mean, he's been very clear that he's, he's not there to, to advance the doctrines of Christianity. And, you know, he's leaving the actual faith bit of it to churches and religious organizations so um, that's fine but to use Christianity as a label for whatever national or perhaps supranational project that you might have is uh, using religion I think in a very inappropriate very actually slightly blasphemous way to be honest and I don't think it's healthy um, and I would like to see a lot more <laughs> careful thoughts from him and from the people around him about what he's doing. Because right now, I don't think it is a model that we'd want to follow in this country one little bit. Thanks for listening to this unheard debate. Our thanks to Philip Blonde and Peter Franklin for sharing their views. And if you have feedback or ideas for other topics you'd like to hear us tackle, send us an email at feedback at unheard.com. Thank you.